Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and upload the video version on YouTube on Wednesdays as well and you're not going to want to miss it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the notorious case of Kelly Cochran. Kelly Cochran was known as the Devil Woman of Michigan for reasons you will soon find out about. And I very much encourage you to listen to the entirety of this case. That way you can hear all of the theories, which truly are horrific, and get to the truth of this case. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it. So this case begins with a 53-year-old man named Christopher Reagan. Chris was an Air Force veteran who was last seen in the Iron River area of Michigan on October 14th, 2014. At the time, Chris had been casually dating a woman named Terry O'Donnell. Terry and Chris had met in 1980, and the two of them had gone their separate ways and gotten married to different people. However, they then got divorced and made their way back to seeing each other. The dating phase between Terry and Chris was very short-lived. However, after their relationship, they did remain close friends. On the day of October 14th, 2014, Terry had been trying to get a hold of Chris via text messages and phone calls, however, was not able to reach him. This was very unusual behavior for Chris because he was always someone who responded very promptly. So after not getting a response from Chris for several hours, Terry decided to drive over to his apartment complex to see if his car was there. Now, Chris had two cars at the time. He had a car and a truck. And when she drove over to the apartment complex, she was able to see that Chris's truck was still in its spot. However, his car was gone. When Terry saw that only one vehicle was in the spot, it really gave her the reassurance in thinking that Chris was just out and about running errands as this was a very hectic and busy time in his life. Around the time of his disappearance, Chris was moving from Michigan to North Carolina, and he had to work on packing up all of his belongings, finding an apartment in North Carolina, He really had a lot on his plate, and while he was excited for the upcoming move, I think as we all can agree, moving is a very stressful and hectic time, so Terry chalked up Chris's absence to that. 
Now, Chris and Terry had spoken to each other on the early morning hours of October 14th. They spoke at approximately 6 a.m. because Chris had a doctor's appointment later that day. And the reason for the doctor's appointment was that Chris needed to get cleared for his new job in North Carolina and he needed a doctor's appointment and a physical in order to do so. So they spoke at around 6 a.m. that morning about this doctor's appointment. And on that phone call, Chris agreed to keep Terry updated and call him after the appointment. However, he never did. And that is when the worry ensued for Terry. However, again, as I mentioned, Chris was in the process of moving and Terry just chalked it up to his busy schedule. However, after several days went by, Terry's worry began to increase when she still had not heard from Chris. She started telling some friends of hers about her concerns from not hearing from Chris. However, all of her friends told her that she was being dramatic and overreacting because the two of them weren't dating and Chris didn't owe Terry a response. So because of that, her friends just told her not to worry about it and he would come around eventually. However, almost two weeks later on October 27th, 2014, Terry decided that she was not going to wait around any longer and that is the day that she went into the police department to file a missing persons report for Chris Reagan. Now, the catalyst that really drove Terry to finally go to the police department was when she began talking to some of Chris's co-workers to see if they had heard from him. All of his co-workers said that Chris had not been into work. However, again, he was moving, he was changing jobs. Nobody thought too much of it. However, there was one co-worker who claimed that they saw Chris's car at a local park and ride. And a park and ride is a carpool parking lot. So one of Chris's co-workers had claimed that he had seen Chris's car at this park and ride. Now, Terry decided to drive over to this particular park and ride, and that is when she in fact did see Chris's car. And it was at that point that she knew that something was very, very wrong. And that is when she went to the police department to file the missing persons report. Now, when Terry was speaking to the police chief, she mentioned that Chris was working at a company called the Lake Shore Systems Inc., which is a design and manufacturing company of heavy machinery. Now, the police chief actually knew the head of HR at Lake Shore Systems and was able to get in touch with her. And according to the head of HR, Chris had been dating a woman named Kelly Cochran. Now, the reason that the head of HR knew this to begin with was because Chris and Kelly actually met at work. Now, Kelly did not work at Lake Shores. However, it was during a drop-off that Chris met Kelly. Kelly Cochran grew up in Hobart, Indiana, and she was the oldest of three siblings. She lived next to a small pasture with farm animals that the whole family took care of. Now, Kelly was always known as the wild child out of the three of her siblings. She got bored of the small town Midwest lifestyle fairly early, and she was very rebellious and did not like to listen to anyone. She ended up in juvie as a teenager, and throughout her teenage years, she was experimenting with hard drugs like heroin or, truthfully, anything that she could get her hands on. And it was also during her teenage years that Kelly met a man named Jason Cochran, who would later go on to be her husband. 
Now, Jason was four years older than Kelly. However, the two of them met when they were neighbors growing up in their family's houses together. And in the year 2000, not only did Kelly graduate from high school, but her and Jason also ended up getting married. And when it came to Kelly and Jason and their relationship, it seemed as if everyone that knew them had either one of two opinions about the two of them. Either you were on the side of they were a loving couple who were meant to be together and had this great relationship, or you were on the opposite side of the scale and thought that Kelly and Jason could not be more opposite from each other, and some people even described them as being oil and water. And there were very different opinions on Kelly and Jason individually as well in this relationship. There were some that said that Jason was emotionally manipulative and very demeaning towards Kelly, while others described Kelly as being the ringleader and being controlling and jealous and very belittling to Jason. In 2013, Kelly and Jason decided to make the move to Iron River, Michigan. And according to them, the reason for this move was because at the time, Michigan had recently legalized the use of medical marijuana. And also at that time, Jason was having medical issues. He was having a lot of back pain and it actually kept him from working. So they claimed that the reason that they moved to Michigan was to help Jason's injury. Jason never continued working once they got to Michigan. However, again, they claimed that the reason that they moved was because of the recent legalization of medical marijuana. However, this move did not make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people because at the time, Kelly and Jason were not living very far from Michigan to begin with. They were actually only living about 45 minutes to an hour away from Michigan. So a lot of people thought it was strange that they would uproot their lives and move six and a half hours into the state of Michigan when they could have simply just stayed where they were and still had access to those laws in Michigan. So it did make a lot of people question what the real motive was behind this move. Now, something else that is important to note about Kelly and Jason's relationship was that they were very much in an open marriage, and they weren't necessarily secretive about that either. Oftentimes when Kelly and Jason were having conversations with their friends, they would share the fact that they were in an open relationship and even go as far as sharing pictures with their friends of who the other person was dating. So Kelly would show pictures of men that she was interested in, Jason would show pictures of women that he was interested in, and so on and so forth. However, it should be noted as well that Kelly definitely seemed more excited about this open relationship concept than Jason did. Kelly would tell her friends that she loved Jason so much and wanted to do whatever she could to make him the happiest man alive and wanted to satisfy him in whatever way she could, even if that meant him being with another woman. Kelly was also oftentimes doing the looking for Jason. Jason was not going out finding other women. It was often Kelly that would seek out other women for Jason. And this open marriage was two-sided, so Kelly was also able to go off and have her own adventures and extramarital relationships as well, and she very much did so, and that included with Chris Reagan. But this marriage pact did not end 
there. On Jason and Kelly's wedding night, they had made a pact together that not only were they going to maintain an open relationship, however, they also swore to each other that if either of them were to partake in an affair, that the other person would be allowed and encouraged to kill the person that they were having an affair with. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Kelly was definitely the one who took advantage of this open relationship more so than Jason did. And because of this, it made Jason severely depressed. However, he stayed in the relationship because he felt like it was the lesser of two evils. Him and Kelly had been married for years, and he was afraid of what life would be like without Kelly. There was actually a time where Jason voluntarily checked himself into a mental facility to help get him through a very depressive episode that he was having as a result of the affairs that were going on. But now let's get back to Chris. So when it came to Chris and Kelly, it was said that Kelly fulfilled the lustful sexual fantasies that Chris had. However, when Chris decided to make the decision to leave Iron River to move to Asheville, North Carolina, this made Kelly extremely angry. Now, this was a very exciting time in Chris's life. He had this new job opportunity. He really felt like it was a new chapter for him after being divorced. He felt like this was the new chapter that he needed, and everyone in his life was very excited for him, except Kelly Cochran. And at this time, Jason was sitting on the sidelines watching his wife develop feelings for Chris, watching his wife get angry that another man is leaving, watching his wife fall in love with another man. And it was at this time where Jason started to think that it might be time to put the pact that him and Kelly had made on their wedding night into play. Now, during the investigation of Chris's disappearance, police were able to get inside of Chris's car that was found at that public carpool parking lot. And when they did, they found written out directions from Chris's apartment to the Cochran house. And that is what really narrowed down the suspect pool to Kelly and Jason. So at this point, police knew that they needed to speak with Kelly and Jason. They drove over to the Cochran's and Jason answered the door 
door, with Kelly following shortly after him. They asked to speak with Kelly privately and outside because they weren't sure at the time if Jason was aware of the affair. Now, it was during this conversation that Kelly admitted that she and Chris were having an affair. However, she hadn't seen him since the 13th of October. Now, police asked Kelly if she thought it was odd that Chris's car would be found at the park and ride carpool lot, and Kelly responded she didn't think it was strange because Chris loved his car. Now, first of all, that answer doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in comparison to the question that was asked to begin with. However, the one thing that police picked up on was the fact that Kelly used Chris's name in the past tense. She said that Chris loved his car. Now, to the average everyday person, that might not be something that seems recognizable and it might be something that others would look past. However, in a missing persons investigation, when talking to the one person that police believe could possibly have something to do with this, Kelly using Chris's name in the past tense definitely seemed important. Because at this point, this was just a missing persons investigation. No one knew if Chris was actually dead or if he was murdered. And so for Kelly to already be using him in a past tense seemed odd. Now, police did ask for both Kelly and Jason to come down to the police station for interviews, and they were placed in separate rooms. When Jason got into his room, he was hysterically crying. He was upset, and when asked why he was upset, he claimed that it was about his health and just how his life had turned out in general. Now, on the other hand, Kelly, in her interrogation room, showed absolutely zero emotion. Her body language was cool, calm, and collected, and she did not admit to anything. And ultimately, police had nothing to charge the two of them with, so they were both let go. Now, they continued searching all through Iron River to see if they could find Chris. However, they were unsuccessful in their search. And along with that, Kelly and Jason actually ended up leaving Iron River shortly after these interviews. They ended up moving back up to Hobart, Indiana, and there was nothing that police could do at the time to stop them. And this investigation stands still for quite some time. There is no leads, there is no new evidence, there is no discovery of Chris. However, things start changing in February 2016. On February 20th of 2016, Kelly Cochran dialed 911 to say that Jason was not breathing. Paramedics immediately rushed to the scene, however, by the time they arrived, it was too late and Jason was pronounced dead. Now, to the authorities and paramedics at first look of this scene, it appeared to them that Jason had overdosed. Both Kelly and Jason were active drug users. They both frequently used drugs such as heroin together, and police chalked up Jason's death to being an overdose. And when word got out about Jason's death, many friends and family had very strong opinions about what really happened to Jason. Shortly after Jason was pronounced dead, Kelly called one of her and Jason's very good friends named Walt and told Walt the news that Jason had passed away. Now, Walt claims that the second he got off the phone with Kelly, Walt's wife looked to him and told him that Kelly had something to do with it. 
that there was no way that Kelly did not contribute to Jason's death in some way. And Walt's wife believed this so heavily that she actually called the FBI with Walt that following Monday because Jason had passed away on a Saturday. So Walt and his wife called the FBI that Monday to let them know that they believed that Jason's death was at the hands of Kelly. And they weren't the only ones, because at Jason's funeral, there was a detective present, and the detective was standing in the back of the room, and he was able to see that Kelly was very nonchalant throughout the whole funeral. She was very quiet, but she didn't seem to be expressing any sort of emotion. Now, while at the funeral, one of Jason's cousins actually noticed the detective, and they actually knew of each other through their work in law enforcement, and the cousin spoke with the detective outside of the funeral and told the detective that they needed to look into Kelly and her story on how Jason died. Now, this just goes to show that many people believed that Kelly was twisted and manipulative enough to kill her own husband. Now, this theory was strengthened when the autopsy was conducted and the results came back and it was determined that Jason did not die of an overdose, but that Jason's cause of death was asphyxiation and not only that the manner of death was labeled as a homicide and it was at that point that Jason's case was brought to the Hobart Police Department. Now, at this point, police decided that they needed to have someone that they could trust to get information from Kelly. They needed a confidential informant, and that's when they decided to ask Walt, that friend that Kelly had spoken to right after Jason's death, if he would assist them in being that informant. Because detectives knew that Kelly was not going to confess anything to them, and that the only way that they could get a confession out of Kelly is if they could either one, prove that she did it and get a confession through Walt, or two, tie her to Chris Reagan's murder. So this is where the confidential informant part comes into play because police and Walt meet together and they come up with a plan. And this plan consists of Walt having a recorded phone call with Kelly. And on this phone call, Walt was going to pretend that Jason sent him a letter before he died. Walt was going to tell Kelly that this letter came along with a manila envelope and that in the letter Jason stated that if anything were to ever happen to him to send the letter to the Iron River Police Department. Now essentially what police were trying to do here is scare Kelly. They were trying to make Kelly believe that Walt had information on Chris Reagan's death. They wanted Kelly to believe that Jason went behind her back and sent their friend this letter that contained information and evidence that they had murdered Chris. So this was all just a scare tactic and Walt agreed to go along with all of it and to make the letter seem more believable Walt told police not to sign it with Jason's name the letter not to sign the letter with Jason's name but to sign it from 
quack quack because that is apparently how Jason referred to himself around Walt and Walt knew that if Kelly were to see the letter that seeing him signing it as quack quack would make it more believable so then the plan is in place and the call is made and Walt tells Kelly that he has this letter he has this manila envelope he asks her what he thinks it could possibly be and when Walt told Kelly this information she went completely frantic. Walt never told Kelly that the manila envelope contained anything. He actually told Kelly that Jason asked him in the letter not to open the envelope until he hands it over to the Iron River police. So Walt is telling Kelly that he doesn't know what's in the manila envelope. It could have been anything, but the tactic worked and Kelly began to get very frantic and she was begging Walt not to send the letter to authorities and to pretend like it never happened and based on how frantic Kelly was, police knew that they were close to getting Kelly to crack. So now it is 2017, and at this point in the investigation, police were able to see based on phone records that they did not have access to when Chris initially went missing, they were able to see based on these new phone records that on the day of October 14th, Kelly's phone was also at the same park and ride that Chris's car was found at. Now, they also got warrants to look into the Cochran's computer hard drives, and it was through there that they were able to find satellite images of what's called the Caspian Pit. And the Caspian Pit is very close to the Cochran's house. The date on the image saved was just several days prior to Chris going missing. So police decided that they needed to check it out. Now, the Caspian Pit itself was an area that was very close to the Cochrane House, and it was an area that was a body of water surrounded by lots of trees and bushes and woodlands, and that picture was saved on the Cochrane computer several days prior to Chris's disappearance, and police started to wonder if this was a clue that could help them find Chris's body. And when police went down to the Caspian pit, they actually found a large burn barrel that belonged to Jason and Kelly. Now, Detective Jeremy Ogden really took the reins on this investigation, and he started surveillancing Kelly to see if she would slip up at any point. At this point, Kelly knew that the police were on to her. They knew that they were investigating. And while surveillancing Kelly, Detective Ogden saw Kelly walk into the wooded area near the Caspian Pit almost every day. She visited it very, very frequently, and Detective Ogden decided to take matters into his own hands. And so one day, while Kelly was not in the area, Detective Ogden went out to the specific spot that Kelly visited, and he carved into a tree stump the words, Chris is here. And then he walked away. And Detective Ogden waited to see the next time that Kelly went into the woods. And when she did, it did not take long to see her shortly after sprint back 
out with a very shocked look on her face. Now, there's no confirming whether or not Kelly actually did see the stump. However, based on her reaction, it does seem likely. Now, the same day that Kelly ran out of the woods is the same day that she called Detective Ogden directly and told him that she needed to speak with him. Now, it was in this interview that Kelly finally makes a confession. Kelly claimed that Chris was murdered, however, not by her. Kelly told Detective Ogden that Jason was the one that murdered Chris and that Kelly had no idea that that was happening. She claimed that Jason forced her to invite Chris over and to lure him with sex and that once he arrived at the home was when Jason shot and killed him. Kelly claimed that after Chris was shot, Jason forced her to remove the bullet from Chris's skull and dismember his body. Now, Kelly was definitely painting herself out to be the victim in this story, and police knew that there was more than what Kelly was leading on. However, because police did not have enough evidence to convict Kelly at that moment, she was let go. And immediately, Kelly fled to Kentucky. And it was during the time that she left the station and went to Kentucky that police were actually able to get an arrest warrant for Kelly. And that is when she was finally arrested for not just the murder of Chris Reagan, but also for the murder of Jason Cochran. And it was finally after Kelly was arrested that she admitted to police that she knew that Jason was planning on murdering Chris the night she invited him over. However, Kelly's case did go to trial because she did plead not guilty. Now, the prosecution painted the picture of what they truly believe happened the night of October 14th. The prosecution believes that on the night of October 14th, Kelly had invited Chris over to her house for dinner, and she also lured him there by offering sexual acts in return. They believe that when Chris went over for dinner that night, Kelly answered the door, and when Chris came inside, Jason walked up behind Chris, put a gun to his head, and shot him. After Chris was killed, they believe that Kelly and Jason carried Chris's body into the basement of their home before placing him on a tarp, taking an electric handsaw, and dismembering his body. After the dismemberment, they then placed his body parts into trash bags and took all of the evidence, including the saw, the tarp, and placed it into the burn bin that was found in the Caspian Pit. Again, the Caspian Pit is a large mining area that was only several hundred yards away from Kelly and Jason's house. They went there and placed the burn bin containing the burnt evidence and then went on to scatter the trash bags with Chris's body into a close-by wooden area. Now, surprisingly, Kelly actually pled not guilty to Jason's murder. Her defense attorney argued that Jason acted alone and was jealous of the relationship that Kelly had with Chris. And so they tried to paint the picture of Kelly being a victim to Jason's manipulation. And along with that, Kelly also pled not guilty to Jason's murder as well. However, it only took the jury three hours of deliberation to find Kelly guilty on all charges, which included first-degree premeditated murder for Chris's death. And she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for Chris's murder, as well as an additional 65 years 
years for Jason's death as well. Now, I do want to mention a theory that has never been proven. However, it was during Kelly's trial that neighbors of Kelly and Jason actually came forward and claimed that they believed that they were fed the remains of Chris Reagan's body. Shortly after Chris Reagan's death, Jason and Kelly invited their neighbors over for a barbecue, and the neighbors truly believe that Kelly and Jason fed them the partial remains of Chris Reagan. Now, again, that is alleged. It is a theory. It was never an actual part of the investigation. However, I felt the need to include it because how do you not include that? So, that, you guys, is the case of Kelly Cochran. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Do you believe that Kelly knew about Chris's murder before he went over there? I certainly do. However, I'm interested to see what you guys say. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this case as a whole because it just feels like one crazy turn of events after another. So let me know what you think. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly every Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys. And until then stay safe. Bye guys. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.